Well, good morning. I'm telling you, those tweets were hilarious, and I just didn't feel like the crowd participation was up to par on that one. You guys awake? There is coffee out there. You can go get it right now. I won't be offended. Uh, But it is so good to be here, so good to see so many familiar faces, and so good to see so many unfamiliar faces. It's crazy, and uh, I, I, I don't need to say this, but the reality is 2020 and 2021 has been uh, kind of these years of unprecedented challenge and change. Has anyone felt that? Okay, uh, Unprecedented, like we've never experienced before. And yes, things can get crazier, things can get worse, but man, it's been a crazy few years. It really has been. And I believe that uh, God is in the midst of what I would call a great reshuffling. It's not a great migration because we're all not going to the same place. Uh, It's a great reshuffling because he is moving people all over uh, the country and the world for his good purposes, even in the midst of the chaos that we see in our culture. But I just want to see a show of hands is who has come to redemption like after basically the beginning of the pandemic? Show of hands. Who, who came since after that? So about basically less two, two years or less. Okay, so there's, there's a good like third of the room in the service that is there. And it's really interesting because uh, you may or may not know this, but over the last 20 months, there's also been around 115 people who have transitioned away from redemption. Okay, we're a, we're a church of 250,300. That's a third of your church transitioning within like 18 months. Is that a big, does that feel like a big change to anybody? It's a huge change. It's a huge change. And, and God has been clearly at work. But again, I just believe he is reshuffling his people to take them where he wants them to be for whatever this next season holds. And, uh, and it's been a great season for Cheryl and I. It's been really, really hard, honestly. If I was just to tell you, like, there's been layers of grief with family death and other things that we've gone through. But one thing we didn't anticipate was the grief of leaving this church. And it, even just this last week, it hit us in a fresh way as our daughter was in dance here. You guys know at Lighthouse. And we're looking at different dance studios down there. And it's just like... It's just not the same. Like, it's just, it's like, like nothing can, can match what this was to us. And that's, it's, it's been heavy. It's been hard. It's been something that's burdened our hearts. And yet, we are so confident that God has us exactly where he has us. And you can be confident that you are sitting here today because God has you here. And he has a purpose for you being here And I pray you can see and sense that during this season. Well, if it's one thing I know to be true about Jesus and his church is that his church is always birthed and moved through prayer. And if you know the history of this church, you know this church was born and bred through prayer. And I remember it was back in 2014 in November that uh, I was out in my uh, outside going on a prayer walk up in the north part of Fort Collins. And I came over this hill and just kind of outlooked the plains. And, and I was just talking with the Lord. And, and we had seen some things happen that made us curious about, man, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? And the Valderramas had just moved back from Denver to Loveland. And there was a handful of families all in Loveland that were a part of Mountain View. 
Riverview Community Church. And then uh, family, the Moorheads. Matt Moorhead was also one of the three pastors that came to start this church. Uh, they unexpectedly were back in town, and we were just like, God, what are you doing? Like, God, what are you up to? And he had burdened our hearts to be a part of church planning all the way back like in 20, uh, 2009. And we were even a part of a church plant before we knew what church planting was back in uh, the early 2000s. But I remember being on this hill, and I had sought some counsel from some pastors actually here in Loveland. I said, hey, how, like, help me discern, is this what God's doing? How, like, what, what should I do? What should I be praying? And, and this one pastor said, why don't you ask God if it would please him? I said, that's a real interesting thought. I don't pray that often. Do you pray that often? Like, God, what will please you? And I remember being on that hill and praying that prayer. And I didn't hear the audible voice of God. I didn't see the clouds part and the sun ray come through, right? Like, but I sensed in my heart the Lord just be like, well, tell me how it wouldn't please me. I was like, well, I didn't expect you to tell me, you know, ask me a question. I'm asking you a question. A simple yes or no would be nice. Uh, but it's like, it's like, how wouldn't it please me, Matt? And I, I, and I started thinking about that. And I'm like, okay, so God, you know our hearts. We're passionate to make Jesus known. We want to see people come to know and follow Jesus. We want to see healthy churches started and multiplied all throughout northern Colorado and beyond. We want to be a part of loving a city with the gospel, living on mission, and staying true to God's word. Uh, our heart and desire is, is to plant churches that won't compromise when the culture puts pressure on us, that we stay true to our convictions, and that we be a church that would have spiritual influence, that would actually change the city. So the, these are the things that we desired. And so it's like, well, how wouldn't that please me, man? It's like, uh, I told you like, uh, that those things are important to me. Like, what's going on? So I'm like, all right, you got a good question. You got a good point. And I remember it was, it was that morning, because this was like super early, maybe 6 o'clock, and I walked into the pastor meeting at Mountain View, and I said, God wants us to go. And that just began this process of praying and processing all the logistics of what it was going to look like. And here, over six years later, we sit today, birthed in prayer. And that was just my personal prayer. That was more than just me. It was groups of people praying. It was our family praying. Uh, but as, as I've looked at and, and reflected on, especially over this year, the last five years in Loveland, I can tell you that, that this has been the sweetest season of life and ministry my family and I have ever experienced. I'm walking in here, I can't even like look at certain people without tears filling my eyes because there's history, there's stories, there's just so much evidence of God's goodness in hand in and through our lives. And yet, while the last five years I think were, were some of the most fond that we'll ever look back upon, I don't believe God is done with our family and I don't believe God is done with this church. And I believe that this church's best days are still to come. And I want to encourage those, especially who maybe have been here for a while, because it's like, man, remember when? It's like the glory days, right? And you got to be tempted to say, no, like God is just as active, just as present, doing just as much right now as he was back then. And yes, that was awesome and that was sweet, but how is that not a distraction from being all in and present to the work of God in our midst right now? Because he's, he's, never, he's never done moving, Amen. He's always leading, he's always building, he's always advancing his church. 
And uh, you guys are in this current series called Prayerful Dependency, which is one of the core values. And uh, today we're going to look at this importance of gratitude in our prayers. How should gratitude and a grateful heart motivate and move us in our prayers? And if you have your notes, um, here's the, the main idea really for this message, is that the joy of godly relationships and gospel partnerships fuels grateful prayer. Okay, there's a lot of things that you and I should be grateful for as we reflect on our lives and all God's provided for us, all that he's done for us. But godly relationships within the church and gospel partnerships with those who are out advancing the gospel in other places, like that should fuel a deep gratitude in our hearts. That should have a place in your heart as you're thinking of the things you're actually thankful for, okay? We can be thankful for food and shelter and family and all those things. That's great. But through the lens of the kingdom of God, the fact that we have one another to go through this life with, the fact that we get to be a part of supporting gospel advancing ministries, like that should excite you. In the midst of all the trials and the burdens and the pressures of life, that should stir your heart to something. And I would encourage you that that something should be grateful prayer. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you can make your way there. I think it'll be on the slides as well. But let me just read the passage and then we'll break it down. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you will approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I don't think there's a passage in all the Bible that is more reflective of my heart towards this church than this one in Philippians. That This might be the closest I get to experiencing the words that Paul penned right here. Okay? And uh, it's interesting is when you, when you read through all the epistles of the Apostle Paul, it is just evident through his language and his affection that the church in Philippi has this unique place in his heart. He loves them. This is like the, the uh, least uh, maybe corrective or exhortive letter. He's just like, man, you guys are awesome. You're partners with me. I love you. Let me encourage you. This is what's most important. And, and it's just, and Paul, the, the irony of this whole thing is that he's writing from prison, right? He's the one in prison. He's writing to a church that's not, and he's writing to encourage them. It seems backwards, doesn't it? But this is what the reality of the kingdom of God and living for the gospel should look like. And one of my favorite uh, church 
history birth stories is the church in Philippi. If you're familiar with uh, the book of Acts and the history of the early church, Acts chapter 16 is what records the birth of this church. And I just want to give us a little bit of that backdrop because it's just so significant to how this started and then how Paul got to writing this epistle. But back in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companions are traveling around. They're sharing the gospel. And it's so fascinating because in Acts 16, 6 through 7, we see that the Spirit of God actually forbid them from going into Asia. It's like they, were, they had a plan. And here's where we're going. And God said, no, you're not. Like, what did that look like, right? How did, how did God block them from going into Asia? And then it says, okay, so now let's try to go to Bithynia. And they try going there, and guess what? Another roadblock. It's like God slams two doors in their faces of what they think they're going to do. And then one night, Paul gets a vision in a dream, a man from Macedonia, and he says, come and help us. And Paul wakes up, and he tells his companions, hey, I think God's calling us to go to Macedonia. I had this vision last night, and these doors have been slammed in our face. Like, this is where God wants us to go. So by faith, they head out for Macedonia, and they land in Philippi, which was the leading city in that region. And they go, and they scout the city. They begin to pray. And in a minute, we'll get to what happens there. But I found it so interesting as I'm, fa- as I'm reflecting on how this church started and my own personal journey, our own journey, is, is God really laid this idea of church planting on our hearts back in 2009, 2010. We didn't know where we'd be going. We didn't know who we'd be going with. We had no clue what the story would look like. We didn't know the timing of any of it. We're just like, God, we just want to listen to you and for you to lead us. And back in 2010, God had us come on staff at Mountain View, which was our sending church. And we were there doing ministry a lot with college students and the student ministry for five years. And it was a phenomenal five years. God did amazing things there. But what was funny is in 2010, as we were praying and seeking God, is is the place that we originally thought we were going to go plant was either Denver or Golden. And I have a journal. I'll show you. I have this like five-year vision that in my plan, it was like, We want to go to Denver, go to Golden, somewhere kind of in that area, okay, 2010. And yet, God clearly had us stay in Fort Collins another five years and clearly led all of us to come down here and start Redemption Church in 2015. And yet, over this last year, many of you know, we are now down in the Denver area. And as I look back and as I think about where we are, it's like, holy cow, like, the church that we're at is in Wheat Ridge, which is the city between Denver and Golden. This month, we're going to be launching a campus ministry on Colorado School of Mines campus, which is in Golden. And I'm sitting here like, you know, 11 years ago, God put these places on our hearts, but his timing was 11 years later. What's crazy, Paul is writing this letter back to the church he was a part of starting 11 years later. This is, this is the, the story that God has unfolded. And if you look at the church of Philippi, it's just one of the funnest stories to read. Go back and read Acts 16 today, because it's just amazing how evident God was at work in what he was doing. So let me just give you a brief overview for, for some context here. 
And so Paul and his companions have gone through the city of Philippi. They're praying. There's no synagogue there because it's, it's, a, it's a Gentile city. It's a Roman city. And so they go out by the river, and they're praying on the Sabbath. They're just gathered praying. And this woman, Lydia, shows up with people from her household along the riverbed. They hear them talking and praying and, and proclaiming God's word with one another. And God opens her heart to listen to the words of Paul. And so all of a sudden, her and her people are just sitting there, and here's these random people by the riverside, and they're just glued. They're listening. God opens her heart. She comes to faith. They're baptized. And she says, hey, come stay at my house. She insists, like, you guys are staying with me. You see, Lydia was a wealthy Asian woman. She was a seller of purple cloth. She had probably a pretty nice house that could host a lot of people because not only did she host Paul and his companions while they were there, she ends up becoming the host house of the church in Philippi. Okay? So, so they're, in the, in, they're now in the city. They found this home, this place of peace with this new convert And then they keep going through the city and they're preaching the gospel. And then they start getting followed around by a slave girl who starts like yelling, like, these men are here proclaiming the good news of God. Like, it's like the weirdest thing. You're like, it's like a demon possessed woman saying that these men are declaring the truth of God. It's very strange. Go read it on your own, right? But Paul, it says he gets annoyed. He's like, would you stop and let us preach? He gets annoyed and he, and he commands this demon out of this woman, totally liberating her from this bondage. And I believe she comes to faith and she joins uh, this young church. But that act in itself got Paul and his buddies in trouble. It actually got them in jail because the owners of this slave girl saw that their way of making money through her fortune telling was no longer going to work. So they're like, this is ridiculous. Who are these people? And somehow they stirred the city to throw them into jail. So now Paul and, and Silas, Timothy, they're in jail, and they're singing praises and hymns to God, and, the, and an earthquake hits, and it opens the door of all the jail cells. The jailer thinks he's going to get in trouble from Rome because he didn't contain the prisoners. He's about to fall on his own sword and kill himself. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, stop. We're all here. Don't worry. It's like, what is going on? And then this jailer comes to Paul, who he heard them, right, singing and hymns and all this crazy stuff in the middle of the night. And he asks them, what must I do to be saved? And a middle-class Roman jailer joins the club. Three different people with groups of people around them all getting saved in very, very unique ways, but all people from very different ethnic backgrounds and social class backgrounds. The church in Philippi was diverse and unique from the very start, and it's absolutely amazing because uh, do you not see the power of God on display in the birth of this church? So obvious, so evident. And we see Paul's vision comes to pass as the church in Philippi is born. And um, the point one in your notes, which, man, we're only at point one. We might be here a while. Um, Is this, is that our call is to thank God for every season of life and specific partners in the gospel. So Paul starts out by saying, I thank God in all my remembrances of you. Like, 
it, it, like my prayers are filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel and because of what I got to see when I was there and, and the things that God did. And so the, the point really for all of us is, man, are we thankful for every season of life God has us in? And are we truly thankful for those partners that we have in the gospel? And as I think back over the history of this church and I think of marriages that were on the brink of divorce, I think of people who just were so hurt and wounded because of the church. I think of people who had thrown in the towel maybe on being in ministry, i.e. a couple of the pastors here. And the story that God just redeemed and restored people. It's been absolutely incredible. The stories of salvation that came through this church. It's like, holy cow, I I can't not smile when I think of the history of this church. Does that mean it was all easy? No. Does that mean we didn't have tough days and hard things that we had to face? No, we had some real tough times. We had some heartbreaking things happen over the last five, six years. But man, was God at work. And is God at work? Yes. And we need to remember that with joy. And to focus on that. And I think one of the coolest things in the kingdom of God is that our relationship with one another doesn't stop even when God takes us elsewhere. We as a family have received so many text messages from different people in this church of just saying, hey, we're praying for you, thinking about you. There's just been so much relational ties that have continued. Even though we've transitioned to Denver, that doesn't mean it's the end of our partnership, right? It's like, oh, they're gone. Well, see you later. Good riddance, right? Maybe some of you felt that way, but I didn't feel that way, okay? And, and so we're just grateful that those relationships didn't stop. And we also want to, to tell you, like, we're in the midst of this massive revitalization of a 60-year-old church, okay? And, and, and it's hard work, but God is moving, there have just been mountain after mountain after mountain that in the last 18 months we've seen God do things that we thought were going to take years and he's done them in a matter of months. And so I'm just I'm here to report that God is on the move. And when you guys sent us out and prayed for us and are supporting us like God is doing what we were praying he would do. We desire to see this church to become a multiplying church planting church in Denver. And we believe that the location, everything about it, it's, 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 a, it's a hub church where we could be sending 50 to 100 people out the door every couple years starting new churches all around the Denver area. And so, A, I want to share that with you, but B, pray for that, please. Pray for that, that God would continue to make this a healthy multiplying church that we are now a part of. But many of you may not know, I just alluded to it, but you guys as a church have also been partnering with us financially. Okay, uh, We just moved to Denver, and if you know anything about Denver, it has a little bit higher cost of living. Like Our jaw hit the floor when we started house hunting down there. We're like, you've got to be kidding me. And we honestly thought, like, we're not going to find a house. Like, 
I don't know what we're going to do, but legitimately had that thought. And through someone in the church who was downsizing, like a pretty miraculous story, I don't have time to share for it, but God, God provided a home for us just beyond what we could have imagined. We're super grateful, but, but you guys have been supporting us as we've made this transition. And I just want to say thank you for that uh, because it's, it's been uh, just needed as, as this transition has happened. But I also want to tell you that um, this year has probably been one of the hardest years of my life and our family's life. And I've, I've shared that with some of you personally, uh, but it's just, it's been like thing after thing after thing. And it just feels like the brutality of life has just beat us up. And if we're honest, like, I'm tired. Like, I'm just tired. And I don't know if it's, like, because I got COVID in January and, like, I'm still tired from that or what. But, like, there's just a lot happening. And I can just tell you, too, that, like, the spiritual battle is real. Um, And we felt it when we were here planting. But I feel like it's even more intense down in Denver. I really do. I feel like our cities right now are crumbling. And there's just a spiritual war raging like I've never seen before. And I think in a day and age of like how many people I know who are fleeing to like Wyoming or like Montana or like places away from where uh, maybe certain political affiliations are taking over, like we're like, no, let's run into the crazy. Like, let's go to the battlefield. And, and I, I, that's what I feel like God has asked us to do in this season. But I'm telling you, like the battle is real. It is real. And Paul's obviously in a situation in Philippi where, or, or in jail writing to the Philippians where he experiences the realness of the battle as he's in prison, as he's been beaten, as all these things have happened to him. But again, God is on the move. And I can tell you today, too, that we've had over 45 baptisms in the last 12 months at Applewood. We've had over 60 new members added to the church God is bringing a unity and a clarity of vision, and we continue to prayerfully anticipate him to do great things in the city because I believe, as I know many of you do, that the light shines brightest in the midst of the darkness. It does. As the days get darker, our light should be shining all that brighter. And the dividing line between the world and the church in America is getting a little more clear, is it not? It's a little more evident today. It should have always been there, but now it's, it's just, it's, it's right before you. You can't not see it. So again, being grateful for every season of life, for partners in ministry. But as I was reflecting on this personally, and again, thank you, for you to you guys for partnering with us. Do you realize like the, this is how the history of the church it's just being a part of what God has done throughout all of history. Like Mountain View sent us. Well, Mountain View was started in 1993 with church partners that we don't even know who they were, right? It's like, as we look back through history, we realize, man, there were all these gospel partnerships that God had in store that really brought us to where we are today, right? So we really are built on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Like, we didn't just magically get here on our own. It's been churches supporting churches, supporting churches, sending out church plants. Like, that's been the life and the history of the church from Acts until this very day. And we need to be thankful that God allows us to be a part of that, even if different seasons look very different. You know, God is going to call some of us to stay, and he's going to call some of us to go. 
And I think we just have to be willing to say, God, what season am I in and what are you doing right now? Okay? Am I a sender or am I a goer? And either way, I should be a prayer, right? <laughs> like, no matter what, I, I need to be praying. Okay? All right, next point in your note is thank God for Jesus' commitment. Commitment is a fill in the blank. We got it on the screen. For Jesus' commitment to you and the joy of godly relationships. Check out verse 6. I love this. As Paul's writing to the church, he's saying, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, guys, I was there. I saw God save you. I saw this church born. This was incredible. And I am so confident that the God who saved you is going to be the God who sustains you. That by his power and by his spirit, he will see you through to the end. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that's the end of the story. You are in him. And he will give you strength to persevere to the very end. Is this encouraging to your soul? Like, is anyone in a place of like, thank God that he is doing that work because if it was up to me, I'm done. Anyone hit those walls? Okay. I've hit them a few times this year where I'm like, God, you're like, I'm like lying on the ground. Like, you got to just like drag me or like pick me up and carry me because I got nothing. But think of this promise. This should encourage us. This should spur us on to say, you know what? You don't have what it takes, but the one who you know does. You don't have the strength in and of yourself, but the Spirit of God inside of you will see you through to the end. But when does he say the end? He says, at the day of Christ Jesus. Church, we know our King is coming again. This time, he's not coming as the humble servant. He's coming as the conquering king. And he's going to take us home. And all the burdens of this life will be gone. And we will be forever in the glorious presence of our king. Man, that's hopeful. That tells us that this world is not the end of the story. That our weariness, our weaknesses, our doubts, our fears, like that's not the end of the story. There is a hope and a future for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And Paul continues in verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Because I hold you in my heart. Because you're partakers of me with grace. Like we're all the same. We're all desperate people in need of God's grace. And now as a church, we've tasted of that. His grace unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love that Paul, while he's thankful for financial support, it's so obvious that he is delighting in them and his relationship he had with them. It's like, what really matters here? The church. What do I really care about? The fact that God has called us to be this countercultural community in the midst of a tough world, that we are side by side, we're laboring together with the same hope for the same cause, for the glorious gospel. And while we need to take heart that God is committed to us individually, that he'll see us through, we also have to recognize that he is committed to us corporately as the church or communally as his church. 
This is his heart, that he hasn't left us to do it by ourselves, that he's brought others alongside to pick us up when we fall, to carry us through when we're weak. That's the beauty of the body. It's the beauty of the church that we have one another, that we're not on this journey alone. And Paul continues at the end of verse 8. He says, How I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ. Church, do you realize that the affections we have for one another are supernatural? The affection of the Scripture. He's saying, this isn't some man-made affection that we just really like hanging out because we enjoy the same things or, or you know, we're, we're living in the same city. It's, it's no, these affections that Paul is, is talking about are supernatural affections of the God who made you. These are affections that you can know nothing of unless you know Jesus Christ. These are affections that are thicker than blood that tie us together for all eternity. And you may not like everyone you're sitting around right now. Maybe you've had some conflict with your spouse or who knows what's going on. But guess what? We're going to be together for all eternity. And we can have these affections for one another right now. As Paul uses this language, he says, I, I long for you. I have affection for you. I want to spend more time with you. I just have this little issue that I'm in jail right now. Don't worry. I'll be out soon. If there's a prayer that could express my heart for this church, it's verses 9 through 11. It's where Paul goes next. He says this, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ because it is coming, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's my desire. That is my prayer. That is my hope that the love of Christ would abound more and more and more and more in this place because guess what? That's a well that never runs dry and it's a well that has no bottom. The depth of the love of Christ is unsearchable and we get to spend our whole lives diving deep into it so that we might know his love for us and extend that love to one another. Last point in your notes there is that we are to thank God for his love that thrives in his church and transforms our lives. When you read through scripture, you can't help but notice that love is the driving motivation behind every single thing that God does, right? Love drove God to send his one and only son. Love kept Jesus faithful to his mission all the way to death upon a cross. Love is what birthed the church and love will always be the defining and distinguishing attribute of the church for all time. But we live in a day and age, in a culture, in a world that does not understand what godly love is. We live in a time where the world says, well, love is love. Like, love is, you define what love is for you. And don't tell me what love is. I'll define it for me. 
This has got us in all sorts of trouble because we have reduced love to an emotional impulse that has become absolutely idolatrous. We put love as the ultimate instead of saying, no, God, who is the source of love, is the ultimate. It's like we take this one attribute of God, pervert it, and then put it on a pedestal and say, well, we like love, but we don't want anyone defining love. You see the problem with that? And this is what distorts the love of the world. It's self-seeking, not self-sacrificing. It's self-fulfilling, not self-forgetting. Love has become a subjective pursuit of whatever we believe will bring us temporal joy. And when that thing or that person no longer fulfills our love need, we're gone. Who's next? What's next? That is not love. The love of God is everlasting. It is true. It is passionate. It is pure. And it is rooted in the truth and the only source of abundant life. See, Paul doesn't say, hey, just get in a circle, sing Kumbaya, and love each other. Like, that's just what you do. He's saying, no, love must be accompanied with knowledge and discernment. It must be established upon the truth of who God is and all he's done. It must move you to live in such a way that you discern what God wants you to do. You know right from wrong, good from evil, and you pursue good in the name of Jesus so that we as a church would be pure and blameless at the coming of our King. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How's the world going to know we're followers of Jesus? You can talk out loud. Yeah. But what kind of love? Love for one another. The whole world will know you're my followers because they're going to see you love one another in such a radical, countercultural way. They're going to say, what the heck is going on with those people? Like, what is that? I've never seen that. I've never tasted that. Look at the commitment. Look at the sacrifice. Look at the, what appears to be genuine love. That's our distinguishing mark. And, and as, as the uh, Apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus, he says, guys, your doctrine's awesome. You don't put up with evil. But I have one thing against you. You have forgotten your first love. And he says, repent. Remember from where you have fallen and turn back. Church, if we ever lose our love for Jesus, we're done. I don't care how solid our doctrine is. I don't care that we're teaching through the Bible. If we don't have love for one another as the core of who we are as a church, our lampstand will be removed. Our light will be diminished, and it will go out. And church, I'd argue that that's why there's thousands and thousands of churches every single year closing their doors in this country. Because it's just become a little club, a little clique, And it's really not about exuding the love of God to the world. It's just about preserving something from the past. And we get in trouble. And if we don't let our light shine before men, not just when we're gathered here, it's going to happen. 
See, guys, it's not enough for us just to show up on a Sunday morning, shake a few hands, flash a few smiles, and then go back to our life. Like, oh, my church life? Yeah, that's one hour Sunday morning. Uh, Do I love the church? Oh, yeah, one hour Sunday morning. (laughs) Most of which I just get to sit there and not even interact with people. It's great, right? No. The love of the church goes beyond the walls of the church. The love of the church should be infectious in the community, in our neighborhoods, in the hospitals, when we're visiting one another, when we're sick, in our workplaces. If you know other believers around you, at the gym, everywhere we go, we as a church have an opportunity to display the love of Christ. And if you've been at Redemption long, I hope you would say you believe this is a genuinely loving church. I hope you would say that. The first five years of this church, the community was a pillar of this church. And there's been a lot of change over the last few months just with people, a bunch of new people and a bunch of people who are part of things that have transitioned as well. But I pray that that would continue to define this church into the future, that our love for one another again would go outside and beyond the walls of this building to change our city. Well, what does a commitment to a loving community look like? Let me just go through a real quick bullet points. One is a clear devotion, a genuine devotion to God and his word. Two is a genuine interest and care for one another, knowing what's going on in each other's world so that we can serve one another faithfully and in times of need. I would say if you're new here, like joining a small group, a regroup, that's a small group ministry, and diving in with those around you relationally, choosing to allow yourself to be known and caring to get to know others around you, right? That takes time and energy and effort, and it's worth it. Figure out how to be involved in the life of the church and specific lives within the church. We're going to know each other relationally at different depths, and, and, and that's okay. But it's not okay just to come and sit and not be involved and not serve and not relationally be deep with some people who call this place home. And it's fascinating because I think most of us don't realize is that you can't obey the mass majority of the New Testament commands without being a part of a local church. Did you know that? Like all the one another's of Scripture, like you can't just go do that by yourself. (laughs) You actually have to live in community with other believers to obey God's word. Therefore, I think there are tons of Christians in our world today and perhaps even some in this building today who are passively disobedient to the word of God passively disobedient because you can't do the things God commands you to do outside of his community. And I believe it is stunting many spiritual growth and it's dimming our light in this world. We don't have an option like love one another. (laughs) It's not optional. It's a command from our good and loving God. All right, so what I'd like to do uh, just to, to bring us to a close, worship team, you guys can come on up. Uh, But I I, I want you guys just to take a moment, and I know there was a lot of things that we went over, but anything that God just stuck on your heart, and maybe in the the realm of gratitude, of just what are things that you have to be grateful for? Like really, what what, what are things that cause your heart to come alive and and things that you uh, just really thank the Lord for? Um, you know, there's a ministry fair. You couldn't have missed it walking in. If you're currently not serving in some capacity, 
dive in and serve. If you're currently not a part of a small group, sign up to be a part of a regroup, okay? Get involved somehow so that your contribution to the church can make her healthier and whole. But what I want to do now is, is I want to pray for us, and, uh, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. So 